What's new, bookaholics? Welcome to another episode of Hot Off the Shelves. I'm so excited for this bonus episode. We were able to bring another author to our show. Yes, today we are focusing on the book Detroit Fairy Tales by Elisa Sinnott. Sonali, you have read the Detroit fairy tale. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Detroit fairy tales is a memoir. It's written by one of my friends. I met my this friend Elisa Sinnott at Quaker conference about like five years ago, and we were in North Carolina, and she started talking to me because she had experiences that she thought might help with the job I was going to start at that time because I was working at a domestic violence shelter and she thought she might have like experience that would help me. And so we kind of connected over that and I saw that she was a teacher and I later actually went into teaching. So we kind of stayed in touch. We we didn't talk very often, but I kind of like followed her on social media and she's always been someone I admired. But she recently published this book called Detroit Fairy Tales, which is really amazing. It's kind of a memoir. It alternates between different perspectives. So it's mostly her perspective, Elisa's perspective, but it does have a few other characters. And she kind of focuses on what it was like to be white in Detroit. And this is something that's really interesting to me because... Um, we actually, our last episode of Hot Off the Shelves, we were talking about what it was like to be um, either poor and black or poor and white in lower class community like Indiana or Chicago. And this is kind of a similar story. Um, she talks about how she wasn't so poor. Her family wasn't so poor that like they're, they didn't have any furniture but they also weren't like rich and she she really wanted to she said she would give anything to be one of the either rich black people groups or the richer white people groups and and i think it just helps us like empathize with like those those groups that didn't have an easy life but um it does kind of acknowledge the privilege that she had and elisa's always been like a very like socially conscious person she's always trying to be an activist and the proceeds a portion of the proceeds from this book are actually going to a nonprofit organization so that just shows like how committed she is so she she talks a little bit about like some of her struggles she grew up in an area where a lot of people were doing marijuana and cocaine and she had a lot of pressure all the girls had a lot of pressure on them to um like be sexually active and do things in exchange for people at one point she's actually considering her options for like financial success and it's kind of funny but also just really sad she says what course of action would be best one smoking pot with dominic in someone's basement and talking about the capitalist oppressors two leaving with paul 
Three, getting unemployment. Four, losing my virginity to a 60-year-old golfer and getting him to pay for college in exchange for sexual favors. And then she actually, like, goes through all these options. And it's just, it's sad that she's actually considering these. And she is now a teacher and she has, like, a successful job and everything. But it must have been hard growing up in that environment where those were the norms for people like her. She also talks about, not just her, but, like, her friends, talk about what it was like to go on dates and have food because some of them their families were struggling they didn't always have like a steady supply of food so if you're on a first date usually the guy pays for your food and it's maybe the one time that you're having like a really good meal and they were they were thinking to themselves like can I just like eat this hamburger and not talk to this guy and that's another thing. It's kind of funny, but just sad that this is happening. That the, that's their reality. Wow. Uh, wow. That's I. That that would have never crossed my mind. But but yeah, if I'm in that situation, I'm pretty sure I'm also gonna be thinking like that too. So my question for you is like, what what do you think resonate with you the most from the book? So I haven't finished reading, but. It was, it was interesting hearing all of these different perspectives of life in Detroit because Detroit is a city that all I've heard about it really is that there's been a lot of crime there. It's supposed to be, um, it ha- it's supposed to have like a lot of violence and murder and things like that. And one of our chapters is called the murder capital. But I was excited to read it because um, I knew that there must be more to this city than just crime. And especially coming from someone like Elisa, I knew that she would be able to um, give us more of that perspective. You know, I'm still quite shocked by the first part that you said about the whole food. And then like, is this the first good meal in a while? You know, the fact that you know the author gives you a little bit more insight um, of Detroit and more than what we know for because we do know Detroit as the not so good place just a lot of crime happening so wow and a light note if you if you have to adapt this book into a movie what characters would you want to play I'm not sure I think for Elisa someone someone who's like really authentic and honest and I guess I don't know that many actresses and actors so maybe you might know someone like this but like someone who isn't afraid to like show emotions and stuff but also is calm and like honest and authentic you know actors do know their craft so I feel like a lot of actors can portray that but I know when you're casting someone to be in the uh, adaptation um, of the book they also try to cast someone who looks like the main character so I don't know what Elise looks like but from just that description alone I would say a lot of Americans movie stars can do it although for some reason I keep thinking of Kira Knightley just because I've been watching a lot of her shows lately just for looks alone she reminds me kind of a little bit like Sandra Bullock because okay. she has um they both have like long straight brown hair and uh, Elisa's face is a little rounder, but otherwise she could totally pass off as Sandra Bullock. So 
Well done. There you go. <laughs> well done. There you go. That's your answer, Sandra Bullock. Now that we have the movie star, and we actually have an answer for the movie star, if you have to pitch this book to, you know, a producer, and you have to summarize this book in five words only, how what would you say? How would you describe it? It's a quote from one of the chapters. It says, "Welcome to Detroit, GTFO." <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Yes, we can say that word, guys, because we're over 18 and we're adults. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Do you think you'll be reading like books similar to this or like, you know, books on the same topic soon? Because I know it seems like it touched you a lot, quite a bit. Um, but do you think you'll be reading further into this topic anytime soon? I would be interested in finding out more about Detroit. Because like I said, I feel like we only hear the bad parts, but I'm sure there are a lot of positives. And um, I'm interested in seeing like more fictional stories from Detroit, but also nonfiction. I just want to learn more about the city. Sounds like this book has quite a bit of impact on the way that you think I'd add. Would you agree or would you not agree? I think I'm just really interested in learning about different like communities in general. So it's kind of the type of book I would like I haven't I don't think I've like read enough of it to for it to really have an impact on me gotcha yeah I gotcha um what would you based on the little bit that you have read what would you rate this I think a four out of five four out of five not bad well congratulations Elise um you know, you publish a book that's an amazing feat and I have to read it at some point. I haven't read your book yet, but it seems a very interesting book and it's always good to hear the other side of bad places. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, just a side, a randomly side note. There was a song by uh, Rihanna a long time ago. It was like Love in the Wild Place or something like that. It just... It kind of reminds me of this song because like her, I'm sorry, this book because her song is like, well, out of the places that you didn't expect, like, you know, there's love. And then like Detroit fairy tale, like the place that we have always heard of crime happening in it, but like there's another side to it. So I just thought that was a randomly side note that I wanted to throw in. It does remind us of Midnight, though, kind of, right? From The Kindest Lie. Yeah, it does. Um, if you guys haven't heard our last episode, we talked about The Kindest Line by Nancy Johnson. And there was a character, a little boy named Midnight. And he's kind of like Elise in a sense. You know, he grew up in this this very, very poor Dayton, uh, Ohio. And he's white, but his family does not have a good support system. He's just from a broken home. But... But there's the question of because he's white, does he have better uh, chances than other people, even though, you know, he faces far worse stuff at home or is he better? Like all these questions. Yeah. And so I think even in this book, she does go into some of the racial disparities because, like I said, she she talks about how she didn't grow up in a very rich family, but she wasn't poor enough to not have furniture or anything and she talks about how one time she was with her friend her white female friend and they were in a cop car and there was a black kid with them or like a latino kid i think he was black 
um and the cops came and they they got pulled over for not having valid insurance and the two girls also got out of the car but the cops just looked at the girls and they were like why don't you just go home like just don't hang out with black kids and um and the girls were confused but I guess they didn't really know like what to make of that because it was like the first time that that had happened and so it showed how like even in a city where like supposedly everything is rough for everyone there are still like privileges yeah an ouch for for that black boy and without further ado here is Elisa Sinek Elisa with us. She's the author of a book called The Detroit Fairy Tales. And um, it's kind of a memoir, but I've heard it categorized as speculative fiction, which I don't know, Elisa, could you elaborate on what that is? Well, yeah. So the genre of speculative memoir, speculative fiction is that there is some emotional truth to it. But like, it's impossible to write memoir. You don't remember anything. And then also, if you're writing about things that happened to other people that you just happened to witness, you're making up that story completely out of, you know, you're just adding fiction to it. There could be ghosts. There could be um, uh, pre, pre-awareness, um, like people talking from before they were born. You could be going back in history, telling stories about the family that nobody will corroborate or talk about. So you just, you know, make stuff up. I mean, like you gotta buyer beware. If you have kids, you have to find some way of telling them like what's going on because they'll know or they'll make something up. So in my case, I just made stuff up. <laughs> I, um, I really like hearing your, your speculation about your mom's experiences because your mom you were writing from your mom's perspective when you were a baby. So there was no way that you could have known what your mom was going through, but you kind of tried to speculate. And like you were taking, she was taking you to the doctor because she thought there was something wrong with you. Right. Yeah, that one's called um, what they were told. And so I kind of just crammed a bunch of events together. Like we were living in Detroit during the uprising, but of course, We called it the riots until about like five years ago. And then people started, you know, being more aware of actually, you know, spreading the word of what actually was happening. But we didn't know. We called it the riots. But I think the proper terminology now is, uh, or maybe has been the whole time, is uh, the uprising. So in the 1967 uprising, I was a baby. And of course, I could have known these things. And my family was more worried about getting food on the table and you know, having something wrong with one of their kids, which they surely couldn't afford any special treatment. So uh, there's, you know, stuff blowing up all over the place. But, you know, I imagined that they weren't even aware of it, that they were just trying to get to the hospital. Like there's, there's a scene where they're stepping around some people who are taking shoes, where they have broken through a plate glass window and started passing shoes out the window. And they're like, they're not freaked out. They're just like, well, they're just going to step around it because that's not where they're at. They're not even seeing like the social issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little the process of how you got that title? I mean, we we've followed you for a while. We uh, so we kind of have oh, cool. an idea, but you know, you 
we would definitely love to hear from you. Well, the original title of this story is so embarrassing because it was Far From Home. And you know that like every new book, there's like 3,000 of them that have the word home in the title. And every new songwriter has a book or has a song that has the word road in it, right? So, <laughs> so I originally, like I was far from home and I was thinking about my dad in that case where he had come to the United States from Canada, but was living in the city. And he was certainly, um, he, he was certainly like, he was far from home, I, but like he was from a rural area and then he was dropped down into the east side of Detroit. And so that's what's the original thing. And then the next thing was, um, oh, there's more to that story, but it's not answering your question. Okay. And then, uh, <laughs> then it was dispatches from Detroit. Cause in my head, I was going to be a newspaper reporter. I was like, no, 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 these stories are not true. So then it became fairy tales and everything that happens to everyone in my perspective, not the third person stories per se, because I made that shit up. But like, um, are we allowed to say shit on Instagram? <laughs> I think we're fine. I'm so sorry. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think our viewers are over 18. Well, hopefully they are. If they're not, don't listen to us. Well, at least listen to yeah. us, but don't do what we say. What <laughs> <laughs> right. Or what we do. <laughs> but like the ones from my perspective, it's such a much happier like ending mm -hmm. okay so for example um in the one what they were told which i'm like walking through the streets of detroit or being carried through the streets of detroit by my parents who got to see a doctor who told them what was wrong with me and it's like a known medical condition called poland syndrome where you're like missing parts of your musculature and and skeleton and stuff like that they didn't know what was wrong with me i don't think they found out until i was like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I found out when I was in my 30s, right? Like nobody ever knew what was wrong with me. There was no word for it. And I think other people did that weren't like getting the, you know, the shitty healthcare. Like uh, other, but a doctor that my family would have seen, like lower income, six kids in the family, they didn't know what was wrong with me. They're like, ah, she has a hole in her chest. See how she holds up, you know? So. Wow. Okay. So, like, so that's like a happy, the happy ending is the doctor's still mean, yeah. you know, but the doctor actually gives what they went there for, which is information I think about what was past, happening. In the past, um, in another interview you were doing, you were talking about how it was really important to you to give these happy endings because yeah um especially as women we see ourselves well that concludes books, our like, podcast and episode so and uh, remember the next episode is coming it's really really going to be on in body i trust by lauren dow and we are also yeah, yeah, on yeah, youtube that, that's and other like, platforms we're also pretty um, involved I mean, on I our instagram as well like, so if you see us on instagram just give us a follow like you know just give us a shout out whatever you can and we definitely Called something you all right guys and well sort of here ends the episode and we will see you next time hipster invasion of detroit but not like they're not even like spoken about they're just like referred to and it all focuses on people who have like grown up and lived and been giving things to detroit but like their whole lives and they're the ones that are like you know 
planting orchards, uh, opening centers for women to get sober and, you know, things like that. But in reality, the person that I imagined who was in the story, he's someone who died like 20 years ago, you know, but I, he's back to life and he becomes a doctor like his father, you know, cause I grew up around some really wealthy um, black families. They were like in Jack and Jill, they were in the trust fund, they had debutante balls, they had big jobs, like they ran things. And so one of those kids, he just died. I had a crush on him in seventh grade, but he died like in our twenties. I, he wouldn't have looked at me twice, you know, regardless, but um, in, in the story, he's alive again. Yeah. And this little girl, I knew that her parents were really awful. They were terrible, 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 terrible. And um, she's alive again, you know, and, uh, and they live happily ever after. Um, so do the people so, that you're yeah. writing about, do they all know who they are? Or do they know that you were writing about them? No, because I like blurred it. Um, some of my sisters, they get it. Like, they're like, oh, that they actually named their characters, you know, and they're like, oh, cool. Well, this, I can see this is totally fiction, but you get me, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, everybody, but no. everybody definitely wants a happy ending, you know, that that's why we're still alive and then we're still living. Um, <laughs> and, but how do you, okay, but if somebody is to criticize your book and say, this is too Hollywood ending, how would you respond to that? Um, I would say, um, you know, there's this quote that I just pulled out of Dorothy Allison, who wrote Bastard Out of Carolina. She wrote a memoir, and in it she says, there's um, the story um, that I tell and that there's a story that I don't tell that I wish you'd understand, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the story that I do tell um, is it Hollywood? Maybe some of them are. Um, I would just say like, um, this is my first time out. You know, I'm 55 years old and, and I think I can definitively speak from my experience or things I've said. And it took me 15 years to write this, you know? And um, I have gotten some flack from, from the, some of the stories in spite of their happy endings. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will have to say, it's like, wow, what if I told the real story, you know? Um, yeah, you said <laughs> are this, you kidding me? You said Detroit Sherry Tales was kind of the easy on the ears version of what actually happened, which for us yeah, is like, wow, like if, if that was the easy yeah. version, like what, what really happened? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think um, there's, I'm going back to Dorothy Allison because I think that's one of the reasons that um, the publisher picked it up. He says, wow, this reminds me of Dorothy Allison, Juno Diaz, and uh, Jeanette Walls. So one is, Those it are reminded him. Oh, they are, right? Yeah, but the Dorothy yeah. Allison. <laughs> well, you know, he's an indie guy too, you know? Like we don't, um, you know, it's like you can really read deeply if you just pick and choose in what you're reading. But Dorothy Allison wrote, bastard out of Carolina and um, that one became famous it came into a movie they're talking about poverty sexual abuse you know all this kind of um, thing but she wrote another book called trash which had to be close to memoir at least they had a lot of emotional truth that book is 
horrible to read. It's depressing. It's, 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 it's really well written, but it is hard to read. And I think after going through this experience, maybe I'm going to go back and read that story and um, see if I can be a little bit more transparent and truthful in what I'm writing. And then if you read uh, Juno Diaz's first book, Drown, it's short story. So I'm always reading people's first story, first book. And so Drown is, is Juno Diaz's uh, first book and it's short stories. And the first one that I know about anyways. And um, those are hard to read. And um, when you read like later on in his life, he admitted that he had been raped as an eight-year-old, you know, and this is the source of so many things in his life, including trouble he had with people. But if you go back with that, having read that article and go back and read it, you realize it's all in there and that people who have been through similar things are reading it in code and that you're like, oh, I, I understand exactly what you wrote. So in some ways, the book might be a fairy tale, but it's also in code. And if you've been through some of that stuff, you know which stories are actually hmm. true, at least psychologically. Yeah. And it must be very hard to write something that raw, too. Yeah. Um, do you think you would? Do you think you would do another version of the book that's a little bit more raw or do you would you move on to like another uh totally different writing project um i'm taking a class starting in may 17th with my writing mentor her name is ariel gore i dedicate the book to her and she's the one that uh she believes that it's her mission to by writing accompany women as they confront their shame about their lives and to like move on to it and uh, it's very transformative because you're not reporting your trauma. Mm -hmm. You're doing something. You're turning it into a story that people want to read and can relate to. You know? Yeah. So, so the next project, I will have to say, I may write a true memoir and share it with Ariel. Okay. But I'm wondering, um, the first story in my book is called White People Steps. And we, without irony, in the 80s called these steps the white people called these steps, the white people steps, the children of color that we went to school with, because my school was 95% black, I think. Okay. They did not call it the white people steps. You know what I'm saying? Like, why did we call it the white people steps? We're like, what is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> but, but my sisters would tell me, like, meet me on the white people steps. I have four older sisters. I'm like, okay, okay. I'll meet you on the white people steps. What the fuck? So the white people came out of the steps because you could sit there and smoke. And so there's like more white people who were like burnouts. Was, was this in the seventies? How long ago are we talking? Eighties. Yeah. In the eighties. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we were kind of ignorant, but like, anyways, that story is fiction, but it is about four, four people, four stories that came together into one and certain things were erased and that happened to somebody else that didn't happen on the same day. It's like totally a mishmash. And my one friend, uh, her name is Dora Badger, or their name, sorry, is Dora Badger. And um, they told me that was their favorite story. And I'm like, you know, that is the one that is just flat out. I made a huge effort to fictionalize stuff, you know, a huge effort. Because uh, one of the people that was my friend back there, they were like, the last time I saw them, they're like, 
if you come in this neighborhood again, we are going to kill you just so you know, and we know where you live and we know where your family is. So, you know, so like, oh, I'm going to fiction that one up like a lot. And, um, yeah, I was wondering some of the chapters you talk about some, um, fallouts between some of your friends, like the character Elisa has like some fights with Marie. I don't know how you say her name, Marie or Mari. Um, and did you ever like, did you ever repair those relationships or did writing Oh, okay. So Marie, uh, that character is my mom. Oh, okay. uh, we never, no, we never repaired. Three days before she died, she said something to me. She's like, Lisa, you're, you're just such a good soul. You're just such a good person. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> like, you know? And uh, so I feel like, yeah, that was a bit of a repair. But we were in the middle of a conversation that we didn't finish mm-hmm. around that. And I, I regret not being able to finish that. So um, when she died, she had a fall and she had a slow bleed and everyone gathered to say goodbye. And my best friend, who's a midwife, took my family in there to say goodbye to her. And I never said goodbye to her. Uh, so that's why I had that chapter, Bye Mama, or whatever that is. I'm like, well, this is close enough that some of these are obviously memoir, especially the ones of my first person perspective. You can't keep talking about your mom and not say what happened, you know. But I feel like now those of us who've had troubled relationships with their their parents, I try to, you know, show her compassion, like as far as how she got to be the way she got to be by writing those fictionalized stories of her childhood, which mostly are... The only thing that was true is she told me a story about um, that they were both lesbians and they weren't out. And there was a third girl that, that was attacked because she wasn't able to hide her identity. And that was true, but all the other stuff was made up. Um, but I thought that must have been really difficult for her because some people like living in California, they're out at the Pride Parade in 1975, like but for my mom. Mm-hmm. she was she was closeted a lot like she lived in this um this subsidized housing and she couldn't be out to any of her neighbors maybe one or two but they wouldn't have accepted her so that was really tough so i'm hoping that in the long run you know that i have offered her compassion if she was alive now i i, I would love to see her and talk to her about all this What's the biggest takeaway that we can get from your book? Anyone should get from your book. I think that when you tell children to keep secrets, then you start thinking the secrets are keeping you safe. But it's really dangerous to weaponize truth for children and, and teach them how to lie about things that are hurting them. So, so don't, don't weaponize the truth and teach children how to how to lie plus detroit is awesome (laughs) yeah that was my other question i was wondering um you you kind of paint this like mixed picture of detroit um there are a lot of like kind of negative things that we hear and i think um a lot of people don't know that much about detroit and like they just know that it's this area that's supposedly full of crime and 
people have said like never go to Detroit you're gonna get shot or something and I don't know and so I've always wondered is that reality or is there another Detroit that we should all experience and I was wondering what you would say to that well, the Detroit I grew up is gone because uh, the carpet beggars have arrived to um, to um, do development and stuff like that and disenfranchise the voters. And um, <laughs> but yeah, I think those um, stories about Detroit, like books that have the word autopsy in the title, five hundred dollars, you know, those are the false narratives. Like I think anybody needs to ask the other person about their lived experience and believe that that person's lived experience is worth hearing regardless. Um, because, because you're going to snap to the stereotype right away. And people like to say Detroit is dead. Detroit is this. Well, Detroit was, um, it had a lot of political forces working against the people. And my only, um, what do you call it, like metaphor I can come up with is as a public school teacher in the city of Detroit, I experienced firsthand like the school takeovers and all the privatization of the school, Betsy DeVos coming in there and um, making all these charter schools that, you know, took resources against away from the city of Detroit. So I can speak to that kind of stuff. Um, but I think ask, ask someone who lives there and who lived there or who is from there to tell you a story about Detroit, because I'll tell you the most famous stories about Detroit that are like flying off the shelves right now are from people who came later, bought a house, fixed it up, and now they're on the reality TV series or whatever, or people who lived in the suburbs and had like a, a bone to pick with Detroit. Um, there are some really beautiful stories about Detroit. Um, there is a exhibit in the Detroit History Museum about the 1967 uprising that has a lot of truth in it. Um, there's um, a um, story about, uh, you know, Black Detroit written, the editor is Black and is like telling it from that perspective. But there's, you know, you got to really see who's, who's writing the book because there's a lot of fake stuff there that people are just jumping on and adding to the stream. But are they really doing anything positive with that just buying into the false narrative so Detroit's probably like anywhere else you're going to have a better experience if you get to know someone from Detroit to show you around you know you wouldn't go anywhere like not knowing what's up you know I gotcha yeah I I travel quite a bit I travel abroad and you know there have been some countries where I would tell so-and-so that, oh, I'm going to this country. And then they would like look at me and they're like, oh, that country's dangerous. But then I'm like, well, I mean, it's also dangerous here. You know, it's you, no matter where you go, you're always going to have bad people, good people. So I totally get that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. And I think one of my last questions was, if anyone wants to learn more about Detroit, do you have any suggestions? Well, I guess after the pandemic, come to Detroit and just, you know, <laughs> walk around, <laughs> come there. Um, I would, I think I would look at the archive on the um, Detroit Historical Museum. There's a lot of beautiful stuff there. Um, I don't know, they have books in their, you know, for sale there that are a little bit more accurate. 
Makes sense because you know whenever you research the the a city museums and lo local people, I mean, yeah, with people there's always going to be a false narrative. You know that's just life, but but yeah. after a while you start seeing a pattern and you're like, oh, okay, so this is what went through, what happened, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, I I'm glad that you're able to talk with us today. I mean, this is definitely a great research. I have never been to Detroit uh, and, you know, just like Sonali, we have heard bad things about Detroit, but I also understand from my own experience of traveling that that's not necessarily true. I mean, a country may have, a country or a city may have like bad stereotypes, but there's always little good things in that city, in that country that that's still worth seeing. Yeah, and I think I just want to say two things. One, I'm starting a project called Detroit Stories where I'm going to be like interviewing people or getting them to turn in their stories. I'm going to like organize it via like what the neighborhood they're from and overtime and things like that. But I haven't even gotten there yet. But I think the reason I had the idea to send uh, people to the Detroit Historical Museum is that there are many, many better voices who can explain like how did Detroit get dangerous? Well, you know, let's talk about redlining. Let's talk about the crooked practices of realtors. Let's talk about the disenfranchisement of Detroit voters, of Detroit school children, you know, of the, the sweet deals given to developers, um, the jobs that never come for Detroiters, you know, things like that. And there are, there are other people who are a lot better, um, people who can like testify to that because they're still in there. There's a woman named Elena Harava. She, um, she writes a lot of really no punches pulled, you know, truths about how Detroit got there. Because, you know, if you look at something, you say, well, without qualifications, this, you know, I can see that this neighborhood is, is got 10 burned down houses, <clears throat> four boarded up houses and only three houses um, where people are living there and the owners are living there. But like, I you cannot, for me, you can't look at that and say, oh, Detroit is bad without saying, how did it get that way? What forces um, that did not allow humans uh, to make their own choices caused Detroit to be this way? And if, if you're on the side of those humans and those people, then you can't be criticizing something that is a, is a end result of, you know, oppression, racism and all that kind of stuff, you know, just shut the fuck up, you know, and, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think from my experiences working with populations that have experienced a lot of trauma, we were always trained to look at strengths instead of only focusing on the weaknesses. So I think there are probably like so many strengths that these people have like had to rely on and have built up because they were dealing with so much. So I think that's another thing yeah. to focus on. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at for sure. And maybe that goes back to the fairy tales, you know. Cover is bright blue. <laughs> it's, it's not black and gray with like a hungry dog on the cover, you know. <laughs> There's more to uh, Detroit than meets your mind's eye, I guess. So everyone mm -hmm. should check out Elisa's book. It's called Detroit Fairy Tales. It came out on April 1st, so it's less than a month old, which is very exciting. And yeah. follow her on Instagram. And we'll, we'll keep everyone in the loop about your next projects. And that brings us to the end of our discussion. 
Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and give us a review. See you guys next time.